0: Hello everyone, it is uh, Doug Ferraver, Sports Illustrated, and once again back with our good friend Greg Cosell of NFL Films and ESPN's NFL Matchup, and Greg, it is the divisional round of the National Football League playoffs, what many people believe to be the most exciting playoff round, Uh, it certainly has proven to be so in the past uh, many times, and we have some great matchups this week. Uh, Let's start with the first game on Saturday, Baltimore at New England, and I think the most compelling aspect of what the Ravens have done this year to me is it's rare when you have an offense you bring in a new offensive coordinator like the Ravens did with Gary Kubiak and you change a lot of things and I want to ask you what those things are but to have so many things be different and for that personnel to match so efficiently I think is kind of rare yeah well
1: what Gary Kubiak has done And uh, a couple of things. Number one, this is now a base personnel offense. uh, No team this season in the NFL ran more plays out of what we would call base personnel than the Ravens, which would be two tight ends, one back, one uh, one back, uh, excuse me, two backs, one tight end two backs, two tight ends, even six O-line personnel. That would all fit into the category of base personnel. Almost 65% of their plays came out of base personnel of some form. And, and Doug, as you know, that's kind of rare in today's NFL. Very. So so that's one thing. And, and because of that, their fullback, Kyle Yuzchek, mm-hmm. he played 42% of their snaps.
0: Which is a, a total outlier in today's NFL.
1: Yeah, the only other team like that is San Francisco with Bruce Miller. But ultimately, if you're just looking uh, cosmetically at personnel, uh, that's a big change. And, and as you say, it, it, it's an outlier overall in today's NFL. Well,
0: and Miller, I mean, they line him up as a tight end half the time. So check is really he's, – he's the only guy who does that as much as he does.
1: So, yeah, they're – I mean, they're – that's the starting point for their offense, and you know it's interesting because at some point you wonder if this is a way. I mean, obviously this is Gary Hubick's history to some degree because he in Houston. He played a ton of snaps at fullback. We all remember that. Um, but you also wonder if, with the wide receiver situation in Baltimore, if he felt that he maybe had uh, you know a better trio of wide receivers to put out there, if he would do that more because um, ultimately. I think with a quarterback like Joe Flacco, he's an aggressive thrower. He he likes to push the ball, and he will not hold back when he sees man coverage. He's throwing the ball no matter who the receiver is, no matter who the corner is. And and I think as we look ahead, I think that's going to be a really interesting aspect to this game because the Patriots really evolved through the course of the season into a high high percentage man to man coverage team.
0: Yeah, how do you see them balancing? Because Kubiak, in my, I mean, and he's worked with John Elway, so that was, you know, and Elway was a great deep thrower, uh, certainly early on. But Kubiak Denise, seems to me seems, you know, he obviously likes a zone push to one side, boot action. He runs boot action to the other side a lot, which is interesting. But it's it's kind of a get the quarterback out, get him moving, and that's more, as you like to say, a timing and rhythm thing as opposed to sit there like Dan Fouts for 45 seconds and then throw it 90 yards downfield. How have the Ravens sort of merged what Kubiak wants to do with how, what Flacco has historically done?
1: well I think it's been more Kubiak quite honestly I mean I think when you watch this team on tape um, it's a lot it's Kubiak's offense and, and I think the feeling was when he got there that Joe could do that because Joe's a lot more functionally mobile than I think a lot of people believe yes. uh, But so I think it's really been his offense there's boot action there's a lot it starts with the zone stretch run game as you know and then you started to describe it where you stretch the front side you seal the back side that's the the, the you know, eight-word uh, version of the zone stretch run game. And, uh, and you know, they, they work the pass game a lot off that. And I think you're going to see, especially with a lot of man, you're going to see a lot of crossing routes. You're going to see, you know, multiple crossers to provide sort of the mesh concept. Uh, I think that's what you're going to see in their pass game. Uh, I'm not sure you're going to see them try to line up on the outside and win isolation routes.
0: Uh, because outside of Torrey Smith in a speed sense, they really can't. And if if Revis is on Torrey Smith, uh, I don't know about that. So we know about Revis. Um, I
1: think, well, you think he'd play Torrey Smith? Who's going to play Steve
0: Smith? No, that's a good question. That's actually the question I'm going to ask you now, because we know about Revis. How does the rest of that – way to set me up for the segue there, Greg. That was very good. We're, <laughs> we're professionals now. Um, how does the rest of that New England secondary – stand up against you know, it's it's Torrey Smith, it's Steve Smith, obviously it's a Kubiak offense, so the tight end is going to be involved a lot. Justin Forsett may catch some passes, which could be a linebacker thing, and we'll get to that in a minute, but how does the rest of that New England secondary size up to what Baltimore wants to do?
1: Well, it's almost impossible to figure out how Bill Belichick will match up, but my sense, and I could be dead wrong, is that Revis will match up to Steve Smith. And I wouldn't be surprised because I don't think that the other Baltimore receivers are receivers you're going to say, wow, we're really concerned about them. It wouldn't surprise me at times to see New England do something they did earlier this year, and I remember distinctly they did it against Indianapolis, where they played with four corners and one safety in their nickel, and what they did is they matched up Brandon Browner to Kobe Fleener, and you might see Brandon Browner matched on Owen Daniels at times. That would not surprise me.
0: That wouldn't surprise me either, because Browner, I mean, he's got more... he's shown more functional speed than I expected or remember from his last days in Seattle, but he... You know, there are times when he could, I mean, the way he plays and his attributes, he could almost be used as a nickel linebacker in, in some spots.
1: Right, and I think they'll mix and match and move around. I think they'll have Jamie Collins, uh, who whose combination of size, speed, and movement, uh, to me, is the best of any inside linebacker in the NFL. He, he could match up to Owen Daniels at times as well, and I think he will.
0: Yeah, Uh, Let's talk about Jamie Collins, because I did my underrated uh, Stars of the Divisional Round, and I put him in for the Patriots. And the more I watch tape of this guy, the combination of, because we know that Belichick has liked to run certain blitzes with his inside linebackers this year, um, and Collins can certainly do that. He did a great timing of the snap sack of Aaron Rodgers and this delayed blitz on Kyle Orton for a sack fumble. But his ability to drop into coverage... Um, just really impresses me and we, you know, we all thought you know Gerard Mayo goes down and I know Hightower has technically replaced him but Collins I think has really become sort of the face of the middle of New England's defense and, and to my mind you said he was the best at what he does in the NFL. I think he's as important as anyone who plays defense for New England at this point.
1: Yeah, he's. I mean, I think both those linebackers you mentioned have been critical. And they may be uh, underrated by media types like us, Doug, or like you, or whoever we want to say. But I doubt they're overlooked by people in the NFL who are watching the Patriots defense.
0: Well, Harbaugh, um, said, Harbaugh said this week that he was kind of pissed off that he didn't sign Jimmy Collins again. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, so because when you watch the film, no one's going to overlook either Collins or Hightower. Hightower's also become kind of a, a sneaky, deceptive blitzer when they play. Bl- they're not a high-percentage blitz team. They're a very situational blitz team, and they're effective when they do it. Uh, and Collins, you mentioned a couple of sacks. I know there was one I can remember, too, against San Diego, where they got him by design matched on the center, Chris Watt, and he ate him up, and and. Hightower has become really good at, at blitzing. Um, so, but Collins is—he's is, incredibly multiple in his skill set. There's really nothing he can't do physically.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, and, and both the sacks I watched—the Packers won, the Bills won. Uh, it was kind of a—he was looking for the gap, and then he would deal with the blocking back. And in both cases, CJ Spiller and Eddie Lacy, it was pretty hilarious, um, and not in a good way for the opponents. So, Justin Forsett and that zone running system against New England's run defense, how does that shape up?
1: Yeah, and, you know, I think that's a really important part of this matchup. Now, it was interesting last week that they actually ran the ball really well in the first half against Pittsburgh, and then Pittsburgh shut them down. Um, I think they're going to have to be able to run the ball, and, and again, numbers are relative. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, that's going to have to go 25 for 170, or they can't win. But I, I think that their run game is going to have to, uh, to use the cliche, but it's valid here, keep them on schedule to some degree. It can't be second and nine every time they run it, and. I think, therefore, it becomes imperative uh, with this run game. Now, I guess they get Eugene Monroe back this week, uh, from what I understand. So he'll go back to left tackle. I would assume the rookie free agent, James Hurst, who has been playing left tackle, will probably move to right tackle, and they'll move beyond the back inside the guard where he's better. I would think they would do that. That Maybe they won't.
0: I, I would think so. I mean, I would Maybe be
1: beyond they'll be on that right tackle because Urschel's actually played pretty well at right guard, so I'm not sure how they'll do that, but regardless of how they do it, their run game is a zone run game. Uh, and one of the things that I think will be interesting is the Patriots have a tendency, when they really feel good about anticipating a run, of getting their linebackers up into the gaps. And if you can do that right away and sort of disrupt the, the kind of uh, elephants on parade so to speak, as they start, you know, as the O-line starts their synchronized movement, uh, then you can create immediate penetration and, and cause some problems for his own run game.
0: And I think that's a really underrated... I was uh, I was doing something on Michael Bennett this week, and, and just he's such a good, what I call, gap splitter. I don't know if that's the official term or if there is one, but... No,
1: but I, I, I certainly know what you mean.
0: There's a certain attribute that some defensive players have. They just know how to, especially in a zone slide or a man slide or pole block or whatever, that certain defensive players just know how to time that. Get the opening and go. And that's another thing, by the way, that Collins is very good at. Um, And I I think that will be crucial, you know, timing those because, you know, a lot of teams against the Cowboys this year have failed to do that because the Cowboys sync it up so well.
1: And it's funny you mention that because the one team that really stopped the Cowboys' run game, uh, not just because they didn't run it a lot, but because they stopped it was the Cardinals. And I don't know if you remember that game, but they lined up with the 4-D linemen in that game as opposed to their normal 3-4. And they reduced everybody, so they got someone inside, you know, literally over every offensive lineman. And that's sort of what I was talking about with New England, with Collins and Hightower. They'll get those guys up on the line of scrimmage, and it makes it more difficult.
0: Um, one interesting stat, and I don't know if this you know, is worthy of a response, unless you, you, you have seen something on tape. We talked about Tony Romo last week as a quarterback who you'd think would run more play action. Uh, Joe Flacco, according to Pro Football Focus, uh, 18.5% of his snaps he's run play action. Now, I don't know if that includes boot action, but... Which I would, would expect-
1: not, be high, n- not be a high number, in my opinion.
0: And it would, that surprises me in a Kubiak offense.
1: Yeah, me too. Uh, Now, again, there's different kinds of play action. And this could be – I think we talked about this last week, about quarterbacks that may not like to turn their back to the defense. Yes. And – for all we know, Joe could be one of those quarterbacks uh, because ultimately if you're going to execute play action really effectively, your quarterback has to turn his back to the defense, and maybe Joe's not comfortable doing that. So, therefore, they try to mix and match and, and mish concepts, but ultimately if Joe's not comfortable, and again, I'm just giving this as a possible explanation, then it makes sense that they wouldn't do it as much as you might think.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, Greg, we want you to know, you, you've talked to Joe Flacco, and he's going to give you all the uh... – you know the playbook and everything.
1: Yeah, you sent me the entire game plan. So. Awesome. <laughs> well, let's,
0: let's turn that on its head. And one quarterback who's run a lot of play action, fifth highest in the NFL, is Tom Brady. And to that is me, correct. This is yet another, and and I've written about this before. One of the reasons it's hard not to include Tom Brady or to to rate him as maybe the best quarterback of all time is that he's gone through so many different systems, which is unusual for quarterbacks. 26.3% of his snaps. He's run play action this year. Eight touchdowns, three interceptions. Um, 1,366 yards, so a lot of deep balls off play action. That seems to be, I mean, obviously by the numbers, more than one out of every four passes, that seems to be a functional construct, that's my advanced term of the week, of their offense.
1: Well, I think there's been a lot of run after catch. Uh, because they their play action... Uh, is a lot of that quick bang play action where he throws those quick in-breakers. Uh-huh. And I think they get a lot of run-after-catch. I mean, I don't know this. you know, I don't have every play in front of me, but I can recall um, Edelman running 69 yards for a touchdown against San Diego, which was maybe a 12-yard pass. Um, so I think the nature of their, their sort of quick bang play action leads to run-after-catch. But the one thing they've done this year, and I'm going to be fascinated with their approach against baltimore is they no team in the nfl has played out of 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, more than the Patriots. 40% of their snaps, Doug, have been out of that personnel package. Now, that doesn't mean you have to line up with two tight ends right on the line of scrimmage. You can play that personnel package, and you you know, Gronkowski started to be split more. If they used him right as the second tight end, he's a glorified wide receiver, because you have to get to the Ravens' secondary. They know that. The Ravens' secondary is not that good, and then you put the Ravens in a bind. If you split a Gronkowski or split a Tim Wright? Are you walking out, bumping out C.J. Mosley, Daryl Smith, or are you automatically playing zone, which gives Brady a pre-snap read? And the great quarterbacks, when they get the pre-snap read, the game's a lot easier. So I'm, I'm going to be very anxious to see what New England does.
0: How did – and the numbers didn't really reflect it, but it, it seemed – I expected more from Pittsburgh's offense – against Baltimore's secondary, even with Le'Veon Bell out. Was there anything schematically that the Ravens did to sort of counteract that? Or with Bell out, could they just kind of hang back more?
1: I thought, in all honesty, I thought that Ben did not see things with clarity in this game. Uh, There were receivers open. He did not throw the ball. So I don't think, uh, to me, and uh, others might disagree who've studied the tape, but I thought it was more on Ben than the Ravens' defense.
0: Okay, so knowing what the Ravens' secondary is, and it's you know there's not much to write home about there, obviously the Ravens' defense lives off of pressure. And in Terrell Suggs and Elvis Dumerville and in our name-check guy, Pernell McPhee, who we love, they got Nauta back, they got Williams, who's been great this season. Um, and it's a, it could be a real problem for Brady because they're good at getting pressure up the middle, McPhee can get pressure from a one tech, they can stunt him inside, and the one thing about Brady historically, at least in my observation, is that if you get him pressure up the middle, it's a problem for him, and that interior offensive line for the Patriots has not been good this year.
1: Yeah, and, and I think when you look at some of the teams you know, over the years that have caused some issues for the Patriots and pass pro, the Jets have done that. And I think the one thing you know with the Patriots, you know how they pass protect. You know they're a Mike-based team. And what that means, of course, is they're five down linemen, offensive linemen, excuse me, well, they will t- take – the four down linemen if you know, or four guys they deem four down alignment and then one other guy. And and Brady will point out the mic. So you know how they pass protect. Rex Ryan over the years has been terrific in sort of breaking down that protection because he understands the rules of the protection. That's the first thing. And I think that the Ravens will do a good job in that area. They'll understand the rules. Now, they're they're not as high a percentage blitz team as people think. They're, they selectively blitz, and they're very good at it.
0: And then the linebackers, Mosley and Smith, um, certainly a key to Gronkowski, but in the run game, which we all, you know, everyone talks about the Patriots, no one talks about the run game. Obviously, if you're running that much play action, it's somewhat of a threat. Um, Especially Smith, because I don't think we talk about him a lot. How important are the Ravens inside linebackers to pulling an upset and and sort of upending what the Patriots like to do specifically in the run game?
1: Well, I think those two guys are critical. I mean, Mosley and Smith. Um, I think they're really good inside linebackers. I think Smith has great player recognition. I think Mosley is advanced beyond his rookie status. Uh, So they're critical. You know, one player who I I find really interesting on that defense is Will Hill Mm -hmm. uh, because you know, we all talk about Gronkowski and what he has to do. Now, Will Hill is a big, physical kid and very athletic. And he's actually played extremely well over the last, oh, I don't know, six, seven weeks since he became a starter at safety. And he's a very interesting kind of hybrid player because of his size and his movement.
0: If, they run, uh, if the Ravens run man, and I don't know how much they would, or hybrid, would he be on Gronkowski?
1: I, I think it's a definite possibility in certain schemes, yes. And I think that they'd probably feel he's a pretty good matchup because of his size and movement.
0: As much as anyone can be on Gronkowski, correct? Um, exactly. Yeah, that's uh, that's a fascinating game. And I, I'm I I did my picks this morning for SI, and I I kind of wonder if the Ravens might not uh, pull an upset here. We'll see what happens. Uh, Game number two on Saturday. I'm not going to ask you to make a pick because I know how much you just love that. (laughs) 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 Uh, Carolina Panthers come into CenturyLink Field in my backyard. Uh, These teams have played, Panthers and Seahawks have played uh, once in each of the last three years. Each time in uh, Carolina's home park and each time Russell Wilson has had to execute a fourth-quarter or third-quarter comeback to win. Um, and I think one of the things about these two teams is that both of them have improved defensively. Um, Raven or the, the Panthers have allowed 43 points total in their last four games. Seattle, I think, has allowed 36 in their last six, which is the fewest since 1978. And I want to start with Carolina's defense and these two young cornerbacks who, the more I watch tape, the more I'm thinking... I mean, Dave Gettleman got killed for letting all his receivers go. But, you, I mean, God, they had one hell of a draft because they got um, – help me with the pronunciation here, please. Uh, you
1: were talking about the draft for Carolina? Yeah. Well, this year it was um, well. First of all, the, another guy they had been with he obviously was in this draft. Thank you, Trey Boston, who is a totally overlooked player yes. who began playing actually in the Week Eight game against Seattle earlier this season and has essentially been starting ever since. Has really upgraded that secondary as well.
0: And then Norman. So let's and, and we know about Roman Harper and and kind of what he does. So let's talk about the construction of this secondary. You've got uh, two rookies, a veteran, and a, I think a, a second- or third-year guy in Norman. How does that work? Because it sort of came together haphazardly midseason, and to me it's really changed how Carolina's defense works.
1: Well, I think that uh, that's a great point, and I think uh... – at the corner position, that was kind of a mess through the first six or seven, eight weeks, whatever it was, Um, and they were sort of searching at the position. They had Quezon who was there. They had Melvin White, who's still on the team. Those guys were starting. Um, Awful. (laughs) Ben Rickery started the year as the slot corner, and then he got hurt. Uh, Norman was, I guess, hurt in and out, Uh, uh, but um, I remember Norman started opposite Quezon week eight against Seattle, Uh, and then they settled on Norman and Ben Wickery, once Ben Wickery sort of came back from uh, an injury after being out, I don't know, six, seven weeks, I think. And those guys have really solidified the corner position. Norman actually has a very good skill set. They don't play a lot of man-duck, but I think Norman can, and Norman has some physicality to him. Uh, and as I said, Trey Boston's been overlooked, but he's he's been, to me, a significant upgrade over Thomas Deku. Um, so, I think that this secondary has really improved, and the D line has played so much better. Uh, now, now I'm remembering some of the players in their draft. the The other kid who's been a major part of this part of the D line rotation was their second round pick, Coney Ealy.
0: Yes. And he's. Uh, I, I, we were talking to Ron Rivera on a conference call, and he mentioned Coney Ely as someone who's really come on of late. Um, Absolutely,
1: and, and you know, he's going to get more snaps this week with Starler to lay out because Coney Ely plays both D end and D tackle, and my guess is he'll see more snaps at D tackle, certainly, certainly in the nickel.
0: And this is something I think we discussed early on when we brought the podcast back: is Carolina's interior defensive line was getting kind of washed out early season. Uh, at least that was my impression. How has that changed? Uh, how have they sort of solidified things? I, I mean, having Lotulele there, and I think he was playing better before the injury, and he's going to be out for however long they're in the playoffs. But how is their front – I mean, we know about Keekley and Davis. Um, they're both tremendous. But how has the front changed to, to kind of solidify well, what
1: they do? I think, in, in all honesty, guys have played better. I mean, I, I, I think that early in the season see, what happened with Carolina is there were some plays that you remember, we all remember where guys got moved and those plays instead of being 9 yard gains became 50 yard gains so they became big plays and then you remember those plays um, and they also had some issues in the second, you know, that's one reason I mentioned Trey Boston because Thomas Deku has been known throughout his career to take bad angles coming up as a fill safety and he was also respect- responsible for a lot of those long runs as well. So uh, I think their D-line has played better. I mean, they don't blitz a lot. Uh, they rely on a four-man rush. Uh, you know, Keekley is unbelievable inside with his play recognition and movement. Um, you know, over the last, I think it's been three games with A.J. Klein out, they started a free agent in their base name who's going to get a lot of playing time this week against Seattle named Darius Glanton, mm-hmm. and he's actually played really well.
0: And the the way their linebackers are set up, uh, not that Thomas Davis isn't a smart player, obviously he is, but it seems like and, and Rivera has said this as has Sean McDermott, their defensive coordinator. Keekley sort of reads the field, and obviously he's a superior athlete, but and this really came up in the first Panther Seahawks matchup this year is Thomas Davis was just wreaking havoc everywhere. I mean, Throw a screen pass to Turbin on this side, Davis creams him. Throw a, a quick out to Doug Baldwin, and Davis almost decapitates him. Yep. And, and to me, Davis is almost, and you get the sense through you know, just talking to the Seahawks players and coaches this week, that Davis is almost the guy they're more worried about just from a pure, uh, just the range with which he covers the field is incredible.
1: Well, I think he's one of the fastest linebackers in the NFL, which is amazing given that he's had three ACL injuries. Yeah. But he, I mean, obviously, Keekley and Davis, those guys are so good. They both have great lateral range, they both have speed, uh, and they're just really, really good players. There's a good, I mean, both teams now, they're mirror images of each other in the way they play. Very much so. Because offensively, both teams rely heavily on the quarterback as a foundation of the run game with all kinds of, of option elements. The Panthers actually do far more than the Seahawks. They just take it further with their concepts, but it's, it's option elements. The quarterback's a, a foundation part of it. They rely on great defense. Um, they're not necessarily building their offense to throw the ball a lot, but they need the quarterback to make throws on occasion. Uh, Wilson is better than Newton, clearly, um, and I think he's just a better player, but uh, uh, they, as you know in Seattle, they're not game-planning to have Russell drop back 40 times. That's not the way they play, and neither does Carolina.
0: Well, I, in my opinion, I, going back and watching that Week 8 game, I think Wilson had six rushes in the entire game, but he had two for 20 yards on the game-winning drive. And he also went four for four passing. Well, it's funny you
1: mentioned that because he he had a scramble run on the game-winning drive in which the um, Panthers were playing cover two, and James Dockery, who no longer plays their nickel corner, made a mistake and left his coverage responsibility, and Wilson ran. Then Wilson also ran on a read option uh, for a key first down on the final drive. But what Carolina did in that first game, Doug, I don't know if you went back and looked at it, was uh, they basically took the option out of the read option. They defined the read for Wilson by having the unblocked defender play him. So they forced him to hand it off. So if you're going to do that, if you're going to define the read, then you've got to play the runner. And... It's Marshawn Lynch and their interior defense, uh, and this is where Davis and Kickley come in because of the speed and quickness and reaction time, their interior defense did a great job in defending Marshawn Lynch. In fact, Lynch's long run of the game was actually a delayed draw, not a read option. So that's what Carolina did in the first matchup. They, they took the option out of the read option, and that's where I wrote Russell Wilson, and I have big rushing numbers.
0: Yeah, and that's, it's an interesting, instead of spying him per se, to sort of define it with the unblocked defender, um, it, it's a fascinating sort of counterattack. Um, week 8, the Seahawks were still sort of getting over the whole Percy Harvin thing and trying to force him the ball. They seem to me to be more defined on offense. Have you seen differences in the way not just the run game and the read option, blah, 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 but have you seen differences between then and now in how their offense is built?
1: Well, I think it's more stable, and by that I mean I, they're not, you know, you made the point about trying to force the ball to Harvard. You know, I don't think this is a complex offense in, in really what they're trying to accomplish. To me, it's become an execution offense. I, obviously, the the option elements provide deception misdirection that's the option but to me they're not one of those offenses that's doing you know 15 different things that you're going oh what are they going to (laughs) do i think they're ultimately pretty basic once once you accept the option elements
0: so uh the seattle defense i mean we we know they're good um But I want to get to Bobby Wagner and how important his return has been. Uh, Their sack percentage has gone up. Their rushing yards, a lot of it, have gone way down. Um, Based on your tape study and K.J. Wright, it's interesting. I mean, we talk about how these teams are similar. Wagner and Wright are almost a Keighley and Davis on the other side. They are.
1: I mean, to be me, there, the, you know, I've said that Davis and Keekly are the, the best nickel linebacking duo. You'd you have to put Wagner and Wright right up there with them, um, you know, so it becomes whichever one you like better. I happen to like Keekley and Davis, but Wagner and Wright are right there.
0: Um, and, and just be, give us, uh, for people who haven't seen Bobby Wagner, um, what makes him special based on your tape study?
1: Well you got to start with the skill set because he's he's very quick. Uh he's deceptively quick. He's he's you know, he's not sort of your your typical, as you think back over the years in the NFL, he's not necessarily your typical inside middle linebacker in a 4-3 because he doesn't weigh 250 pounds. But he's got tremendous quickness, tremendous lateral range, really good player recognition. I mean, you'd say the same thing in many ways about Kuechly, who's just a much bigger man, taller man, weighs more. But... That, that's what Wagner is as well, and he's, he's explosive in moving to the football. Uh, so he's, he's a really, really good player.
0: I want to go back to Michael Bennett because we, I, we, were, we were talking about gap splitters and how good he is at it. Um, I don't know that there's a player like him in the NFL, a, a guy who can create equivalent pressure from end and tackle. And with Jordan Hill out, and to me that's a big, big hit for Seattle's defense because he was really coming on they may play him more inside. But um, just speak about Bennett and and how important he is, not only from the tackle position and the standard end position, but I'm sure you've seen this other formation, which I asked Pete Carroll about this week, and it was something that Dan Quinn came up with, where they'll have Bennett and Averill outside on one side and then two linebackers on the other side, and they'll stunt inside. Um, I think this defensive line... Is more diverse than people might think, and I think Bennett is the key to that.
1: Well, and it's funny you say that because I think Carolina is trying to make Cody Ely that guy for them. Oh, okay. And yeah, and I think that Bennett, you know, Bennett's been doing that for years. He did it in Tampa before he did it in Seattle, and because he was on Tampa, nobody talked about him. (laughs) But, you know, Bennett has basically been a D end in the base and a D tackle in the nickel or the dime, and he's really really good inside as a pass rusher uh... so you know they do a lot of things depending on their opponent uh... and it'll be interesting to see if they line up Bennett and Averill outside the right tackle, because Mike Remmers is the right tackle uh, for Carolina. While he's played well, I I think they would view him as a potential weak link. We saw them do that numerous times when they played Arizona, where they put both Bennett and Averill outside of Bobby Messi and caused major problems. So I think there's a lot of options here for the defensive front for Seattle.
0: Well, I think uh, one of their options should be going after Byron Bell, who's allowed, I think, uh, yeah, Jawan James and Matt Khalil are the only guys who have a lot more total pressures. And Khalil should have his own turnstile category, so there you go. Um, Yeah,
1: so, I mean, there's a lot of options here uh, with their their D-line, particularly in the nickel.
0: Yeah. Um, Secondary, I think we know how good those guys are. But I I wanted to... Ask your opinion of Cam Chancellor. We, you know, we know he's a box guy. We know he's an enforcer. It seems to me, um, and I've talked to a few people around the league who tend to agree that his coverage abilities have really improved kind of exponentially this season. Is that what you're seeing?
1: You know what? I think they've been pretty good for a couple of years. I mean, uh, you know, I haven't studied every play, you know, where he's in coverage, but I noticed last year I thought that he covered pretty well, and I'll take your word from talking to people that he's better this year, but, you know, that, that was viewed. Though you know, three four years ago was a weakness, it is absolutely not a weakness right now. Um, and it'll be interesting because of the Greg Olsen uh, factor. Because yeah. Olsen, to me, is their most consistent receiver. And uh, I think he would have to be a big part of this game for Carolina to win. Uh, and I think Chancellor will be, uh, be a major factor in, in defending him. He'll play him man-to-man at times.
0: Yeah. Um, most certainly, and that's that's another interesting. It's funny that the Seahawks are 11 point favorites, and all these games have come down to the wire. Must be some home cooking there.
1: Well, I, you know, I, I, and I'm trying to be funny, but I think a lot of people would, would immediately ask the question is Carolina going to score 11 points? And I'm not <laughs> trying, you know, and again, you know, it, because it's hard tactically to see Carolina scoring a lot of points.
0: Yeah, because you,
1: you... offensively, offensively, you yeah. never know what happens with other stuff, but
0: offensively, you assume Sherman's going to be on Kelvin Benjamin and R- Richard just kills big. I mean, big receivers who aren't you know high high speed guys. He just envelops them.
1: No, and Benjamin. While he had a really promising rookie year, is is still very unrefined as a route runner, and I would really bet that, you know, he look, he may make a contested catch or two, and and, and but I, I I would doubt that he's going to create a whole lot of separation.
0: Well, yeah, I, mean, I remember watching his. Uh, I did his. Uh Scattering report for SI at Florida State. I'm like, okay, the only route he runs is go into the end zone and jump up over the cornerback. That was pretty much the whole offense. So, yeah.
1: Well, (laughs) it's interesting because you go back to that Week 8 game and he did run by Sherman and and, uh, Newton overthrew him. And and those are the kinds of things in games like this, because you don't get a lot of opportunities and it's not going to be a high-scoring game, you know, Newton's going to have to make those throws. You know, they had a chance for a touchdown. He overthrew him. I think it was the third play of the third quarter. And he over throw him and it should have been a touchdown and uh, you know Cam's not Cam's going to have to play far far better than he did last week if they're going to have a chance to win this game
0: you know that was a really weird thing in the Arizona game because it seems like he was making a lot of contested throws in the, and then his you know his tight ends would be open like with a, a wheat field around him and he just overthrew why does he I mean is he throwing off his back foot is it a mechanical thing is it his back because I know he's injured too. oh he's he's
1: always had major mechanical issues major his feet and his eyes rarely work together and, and when your feet and your eyes don't work together you throw a lot of balls off balance and no matter how powerful your arm might be uh, or how many walls you can throw the ball through, uh, <laughs> when your feet and your eyes don't work together, you're not going to be consistently accurate. It becomes week to week.
0: Yep. Uh, moving to Sunday's games uh, Dallas at Green Bay, the Ice Bowl rematch. I watched the Ice Bowl on NFL films today, and boy, uh, the game Well, you out? need to get a life, Doug. Hey. <laughs> That's beside the point. Um <laughs> You, you've probably watched the Ice Bowl 75 times in your office because you work in... I have not. Oh, okay. Whatever. I have not. Oh, so you have a life. Yes, you're, you're so, <laughs> so much more special than me. Uh, Dallas at Green Bay, and obviously the, the major story here is Aaron Rodgers' calf. And we know, I mean, clearly Rodgers can throw from the pocket. But in a general sense, whether it's a great defense or kind of an average execution defense like Dallas's. Let's say Rodgers really can't move. He can't get out of the pocket. He, let's say he can move functionally inside the pocket, which I think he'll be able to do. But let's say he can't escape pressure and throw on the run, which, in my opinion, nobody does it better than he does. How does that affect uh, – I mean, to what percentage, I should say, does that affect what he does?
1: Um. You know, it's funny. I actually think the movement within the pocket for him is more important, and I, and I I'm not sure if he'll be able to do that. We won't know because he's he's really a late in the down quarterback. I mean, sure, are there timing throws? Absolutely, but he's not. A, he doesn't leave the pocket very often. I mean, it's not. You know, he's not a guy who just takes off. Um, with him, it's truly a last resort. What he really does more is kind of navigate within us, like a boxing ring size area, you know, where he's just trying to let, let things kind of develop. And, he, and he, he's a late in the down guy. And we'll see if he's able to do that. Because that, to me, is a major part of his game.
0: Yeah. Um, and then it, how different, you, you get the impression. Because they have a power running game, and I think in the Rodgers era, they may have the best running attack um, that, that Rodgers has, has enjoyed since he became a starter in 2008. Um, how have you seen Eddie Lacy change Green Bay's offense in a general sense? Uh, besides the fact that they're just running the ball more often, more effectively... Um, and I know Mike McCarthy he said less schemes better players and they were pretty vanilla in the first few weeks but have you seen this offense change formationally and schematically this season
1: you know my, my answer to that and I could be wrong would be no I think they've they've run the ball more in recent weeks um they've been more effective with it i think rogers has been a big part of that i think he's become really good at the line of scrimmage in checking the things and checking to the right runs um so i don't think that you know I, i've always believed that mike mccarthy wanted to run the ball i mean he did that when they had ryan grant for those two or three years and and Grant was effective. I don't think he's a throwball guy by any means. He just he has Aaron Rodgers, and he's got a really good receiving core. So they do that, but I think he would like to run the ball. I mean, the last six games, Lacey has averaged 20 carries per game, um, and I think that that's, that'll be part of their approach. Um, now, one thing I just wanted to point out, because it comes from tape study, and that's what we what we do here, is – Last week against Detroit, Dallas played way more man coverage than they did throughout the season. They were a predominant zone team throughout the season, Mm -hmm. and they matched up last week. They matched up with Carr on Calvin and Skandrick on Golden Tate. So I'm curious to see, will they match up Carr on Jordy and, and Skandrick on Randall Cobb in the slot and play more man, or will in this game, will they go back more to zone? I think that's one of the intriguing elements to this game.
0: Well, I wonder if because they move Cobb around a lot and it's not, I mean, they run a lot of three wide, obviously, because they have the personnel to do that, but I wonder, when you're playing man like that, and the Patriots, obviously, they'll put Rebus anywhere, Um, but I, I wonder if that... Alone, receiver distribution and location, as you like to say, will uh, will affect that. Well,
1: lot. Cobb's primarily in the slot. Yeah. Primarily. You know, not 100%. They do move him. Um, Nelson does move around. I mean, most people think of him outside, but sometimes they'll go three-by-one sets, and Nelson will be the inside slot on the three-receiver side. Will Carr travel with him inside, or will they get zoned against that? And I'm sure the Packers will try to find that out early and see how they see
0: how Dallas will play it well I mean last year when Cobb was hurt Nelson became one of the better slot receivers in the league so without question yeah um, one thing that really became apparent to me and um, they mentioned it on the telecast is is and I want you to explain kind of in the mind of an offensive line the collective mind. And it was clear that whatever Detroit was throwing at Dallas, they were having trouble adjusting their protections, especially in the first half. Um, why does that happen in a game? Just in a general sense.
1: Well, there's all kinds of reasons for that. That that's there's no one answer because it, it, it protections again, they're all, they're all a function of what the rules of the protection are, and and see everybody knows the rules of everybody team of every team's protection, so. You you can create pressures um, that break down the rules of the protection. Now, when you do that, you will create voids in your coverage. But you can or 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 matchups that defensively you may not love, but you're hoping that. The pressure wins. Now, there were a couple of plays last week where Romo needed to get rid of the ball, and he didn't, where he he made the wrong pre-snap read. Then there was another really cool pressure where they just broke down the protection in a really cool way, and that's that's what teams do. So, you know, all this is based on rules. Offensive linemen have rules.
0: Well, it's interesting because I'm thinking Dom Capers is watching that and he's watching tape this week and he's okay, I might be more diverse. Because to me, my impression of it is it's more Romo is not changing the protections than it is the line. I don't know that. But if all of a sudden I expect Clay Matthews to be outside and he's inside or I expect uh, the hugely underrated Mike Daniels to be here and he's there, um, you know the packers defense isn't always great but it's pretty diverse and that might that might uh no question no
1: question and you know again let's give a really easy example let's say defensively you line up with someone head up on the center head up on the right guard and head up on the right tackle okay three mm-hmm. snap those three offensive linemen they're occupied they can't block anybody else because they've got someone right in front of them correct correct Now, let's say the back is on the other side of the formation. Okay. Okay. Say the back free releases into a Mm wrap. Now, if all of a sudden you bring someone from outside the right tackle who's covered by a defensive lineman, who's going to block that guy? No one. Yeah. So you can design your fronts. You can design your pressures. You can get people either free or uh, or matched let's say, with a back on a good pass rusher to, you know and like i said you're not going to do this all the time because you can sacrifice and compromise coverage when you do some of these things, and you know you know it all depends on the the other team and and what formation they're in and what you know you don't want to pressure if you feel it's going to be picked up based on the other team's personnel and formation because then you're just sending guys and you're wasting them you know so. But you can you can do this, and that's what teams do. They understand how teams protect, because it's all based. Everything's based on rules and numbers in, in pro football. Rules and numbers.
0: Yep. And I tell you this, uh, Dallas might want to have a little help on Ronald Leary because I, w- I was watching Daniels, and Daniels is in the piece I did yesterday. And that guy will abuse guards in a one-on-one matchup. He is so strong and, and really... I mean, obviously the Packers know how good he is and the Cowboys will too, but that's a guy who's like 6'1", 290, and he's just an odd... He's kind of like Bennett to me. There are these certain players who are just sort of physical oddballs and they get in the right scheme and they just... They they manage to thrive. Right. Um, but he's one guy. And then, uh, to me, uh, a crucial... Idea, a crucial concept for this game will be how much they play Clay Matthews inside, because I'm reading ESPN stats and info, and it's not just Matthews, but the Packers run defense has really shored up in the second half of the season, which is when they started to play Matthews more inside. And it's kind of a correlation causation issue, but how much of that has been Matthews and why in general has the Packers run defense improved?
1: Well, Dom is, is a tough guy to figure because Dom will. If you line up offensively against Dom in base personnel, which the Cowboys will do, Dom doesn't automatically play base. He may play nickel. Right. And he's done that a lot. So. Here's how Green Bay has predominantly aligned over the last, you know, since they made the Matthews move. If they true line, truly line up in their base 3 4, Matthews will play outside linebacker. If they line up in their nickel, he's on the inside. If they play dime, he's back on the outside. So. We don't know what Dom will do when the Cowboys line up with, you know, Murray and Tyler Klotz or with Murray and James Han and Jason Witten. You know, we don't know if he'll automatically go to his base defense. He may decide to play his, his nickel defense.
0: Yeah, and I'm not sure what the stats are when they run that Hannah Witten package, the two tight ends predominantly to the right side, but um, they seem to be incredibly effective out of that. And then we move to Dallas's offensive line, and obviously they're great. It seems to me, though, and, and this is where you kind of split the baby, and is it the line's issue, is it the quarterback's issue? To me, this Dallas offensive line seems to be a lot better in run blocking than, I see some breakdowns in pass pro, and it's kind of getting back to that point of who calls what. And I'm wondering, based on your observation, where those breakdowns come from.
1: I think that's a fair statement. I've noticed that over the last three or four weeks. And I think, you know, some of it's been scheme-based. Some of it's been individuals getting beat. And that's normally the way it is. There's usually not one answer, as you know, Doug, you know. Um, But, uh, and then it depends on the opponent. I mean, this week I noticed that Doug Martin got pushed back a number of times. Doug Martin, um, uh, Zach Martin, excuse me, um, got pushed back a number of times in one-on-one matchups. So, um you know, I think Parnell made a few mistakes this week at right tackle, uh, mental mistakes. So it's always uh, it's always a number of things, but I think as a g- general point, it's valid.
0: So you have uh, the Cowboys Receiver core, and obviously Witten's included in that. As we've discussed before, not a heavy, you know, they're not into big route concepts. They're not going to run trips bunch. It's a lot of levels. It's a lot of old Zampezi stuff um, by way of, you know, it all go, go, seems to go back to Sid Gilman. Um and then you have Casey Hayward and Micah Hyde in the slot. You have uh, Tremon Williams as and Sam Shields as the main guys. I mean, based on the numbers, um, outside of HaHa Clinton-Dix, who I think played really well in pass coverage uh, late in the season, this seems to be a secondary that can be exploited in a general sense.
1: You know, yes and no, because I don't think that the Cowboys, you know, have gotten a lot from Terrence Williams. I don't think he's a concern, let's put it that way. Then it comes down to how you want to play Dez. Uh, you know, are you going to consistently double him or are you are not going to consistently double him? Uh, you know, Sam Shields over the years has matched up man-to-man um, with mixed success, but he has matched up man-to-man to a lot of the top receivers. So it'll be interesting to see how Dom decides to, to do that. Yeah, Tony Romo, the last couple of weeks, has not played great. I mean, he made some throws last week, obviously, critical throws, but he's missed some things.
0: Yeah. Uh, And I would say, again, Shields, just, you know, run a play fake over there because he seems to bite on a lot of stuff. Um, So moving to the final game on Sunday, final game of Divisional Weekend, Indianapolis at Denver, and it's funny how – and this is one of those matchup things that always intrigues me. When you have one team that does something very well, and you have another team that you would think would be at a supreme disadvantage, except they've given up on that thing they don't do well at all. And I'm talking about Denver's run defense versus Indianapolis' run offense. And Denver, has, you know, Terrence Knighton is a big part of this. Um, the second best uh, overall run defense per Football Outsiders metrics and, you know, you have your occasional boom here in play, but, I mean, Trent Richardson's playing special teams at this point. Um, it, do the Colts have a run game at all that they can rely on, or is it just it's all what Andrew Luck can do?
1: I don't think they'll be able to rely on their run game in this game. No. Um, and I don't think they look to rely on their run game last week. You saw the play calling breakdown. Mm-hmm. I mean, they ran the ball at the end of the game when it was over, and they actually did it well, but... Look what they did through, oh, I don't know, two and a half, three quarters. Their their play call breakdown was ridiculous. I mean, I bet at one point they probably had 40 called passes and seven called runs. You know, so I I think they know. And I thought Andrew Luck last week played a terrific game because I think he intuitively understood, Doug, that he's the chain mover in the offense. And he threw more five- to seven-yard passes last week than I can recall in in any game because he likes to push it. And their offense does all of that. But I think he recognized that, you know what, I need to move the chains. We're not going to run the ball and move the chains. So I'm going to either check it down or I'm going to throw a four-yard pass because second and six is a whole lot better than second and ten.
0: Generally speaking, yes. Um, We know about T.Y. Hilton. We'll get to him in a minute. But I want to talk about Dante Moncrief, um, rookie from Mississippi, third-round guy, what skill set he brings to the table and how important he is to – Kind of what I would call a transitional passing game, getting those you know second and sixes as opposed to going for the shot play all the time how How important has he been to that change in mind
1: um, I think he's become really important because I don't think they've gotten what they thought out of Hakeem Nicks, although he had a big catch this week um, Moncrief as you know, I really like them coming in of old miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I think he's got very good speed. Uh, Like any young receiver, he'll, he'll need work on route running. But I think he's a big kid who's fast. And, you know, the touchdown he caught, obviously, Andrew Luck made a great play, and that's been the focus of the play. But that was a beautifully designed concept, where by formation and by receiver distribution and location, Boom. they got Moncrief running a kind of a deep over route versus signal high safety Georgia Aloka. And that's exactly what they wanted.
0: Yeah. Um, so we have Moncrief, we have Wayne, we have, uh, obviously, T.Y. Hilton and. In- I think, in my mind, T. Y. Hilton is as important to that team as anybody else at this point because we saw what happened when he wasn't there against Dallas. Um, but how do you and going back to Week One, and I don't know if it'll be the same thing. How did they cover the Colts' receivers then with Harris and Talib and, and their safeties and Roby, and how do you think they'll do it now?
1: Throughout the year, they've mixed and matched with Roby and Harris. You know, one being outside, one being in the slot when they go to their nickel. And uh, but, but one thing about the Colts is, they're also a team that plays with a ton of multiple tight end sets. Yep. So, how will they choose to play? That's that's number one because if they choose to play high percentage of multiple tight end sets, Roby won't be on the field. Uh, so that's the, that's the starting point. Um, they, they like to throw the ball to those multiple tight end sets and, and clearly with Dwayne Allen and Kobe Fleener who's used it in, in a variety of ways it's, it presents an, an interesting matchup scenario will they feel comfortable, Denver that is with DJ Ward matched on, on Kobe Fleener
0: yeah and we'll see if Fleener embraces his role as the guy who actually catches the balls who are thrown to him. In which case, he would be a bit of a mismatch for Ward.
1: Well, he's had some issues with that, but he's also made a, a number of big plays that have been. You know, he's a tough. He's a tough matchup because he moves well.
0: Yeah. Uh, Denver, another team that can really bring pressure. How? I mean, do they do they keep Dwayne Allen in. Do they adjust to protections to one side or the other? Do they change things against? Um, I, don't know, I don't know if the Broncos blitz a lot. Um, my sense is they blitz word a bit, but they can obviously bring pressure. Indy's line has had some issues this year clearly, so how do they how do they counteract that?
1: Well, I think what Indy did this past week is I think they built a lot of their protections to protect Joe Wright's the right tackle. Mm-hmm. And if I'm Denver, uh, I'm, I'm probably looking, and, and what I'm about to say, nobody does anything 100% as you know, but I would probably look to rush five and play a lot of man because uh, I think you can create some protection issues when you rush five and uh, uh, maybe negate some of the desire to help out Joe Wright's at right tackle. And I think they'd be comfortable playing man coverage.
0: Moving to the Denver side of the offense, and obviously they've – and this is another interesting story. We talked about how Baltimore – Switched a lot of their principles uh, this season, and it's worked well. I mean, Denver switched a lot midstream. They've become more of a running offense. You've obviously watched Peyton Manning throughout his career. Um, based on, I mean, it, it's my sense that, and, and we've discussed this a little bit, but where it, where it stands right now, I mean... The velocity is a major concern. The consistency is a major concern. His numbers have dropped in the red zone, just based on your take. Well, that,
1: that to is, me, that to me is the concern. Yeah. Because I think over the last five weeks, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the three worst quarterbacks completion percentage wise in the red zone are Blake Borders, Bortles, RG3, and Peyton Manning.
0: Yep, I'm reading that right now. He's got uh, yeah, 39 percent of his red zone passes, 13 for 33.
1: Yeah, and he's thrown the ball in that five-game period 16 times to Demarius Thomas in the red zone, and Thomas has caught one. Oof. So that, to me, is the concern. You know, we can debate things. law. I mean, you know, I get asked that obviously all the time. I mean, even when he was playing well, it's not like he was, you know, throwing it through walls. So, obviously, their pass game is not the same right now, and the red zone – I think that is far and away the most important factor because if that if they were succeeding there, Doug, which are not you know arm strength throws obviously, yeah, then no one would be asking without be Peyton Manning about because it. they'd right. be scoring a lot of points, right?
0: Although we, so, I mean, we, you and I, when we do this, we try to deal with you know play to play stuff and what we see. No, the reality, I, I no question, and then clearly over the
1: last oh well, first of all, C.J. Anderson has led the NFL in rushing over the last six weeks, and. How about this? Think about this. 33% of his runs over the last six weeks, 33% have come with six offensive linemen
0: on the field. So they're doing what the Patriots have done, and just it, we're, its 6-0 is almost a default setting. And that, that seems yeah, to be a yeah. new thing in the NFL.
1: And what they've done is they the tight end in those situations has been uh, Virgil Green. Now, obviously, Thomas has been hurt. He's going to go this week. Um I think he's a really big factor for them against uh, Indianapolis. Because but
0: they, I mean, even if Thomas is healthy, they would like Green as the blocker better, wouldn't they?
1: Yeah, but then they'll then, you know, then their offense becomes a more of a package offense, which it really hasn't been until these last six weeks. So, uh, you know, they normally used to line up. You know, They weren't one of those teams that changed their packages a whole lot. I think they've been doing a lot more of that, and they've had success running the ball. Now, go ahead. Indy played the run really well last week. I thought that. Did you watch that tape? I thought that their two inside linebackers, Freeman and and Jackson, were really good against.
0: Yeah, and 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 Jackson does that well, and Freeman's been playing a lot better of late. Yeah, I agree. So that, and then the question becomes, um, you know, how much can? Because I mean, you had told me earlier this year that you would talk to. I think it was a current quarterback who you didn't want to name, obviously, and. Who said that Manning is doing everything mentally and nothing physically, to paraphrase? Basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, right, right. I mean, and, you know, everybody knows that. I mean, it, this is not news, you know, and, and in some ways it speaks to how great Peyton is because, you know, he's certainly not the same physical thrower, and that's the guy had a neck fusion. I mean, the, guy, yeah. the guy's not the same
0: thrower. The fact that he's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not denigrating him, and the fact that he's playing at all is kind of a miracle, but. Um, yeah. How have the past, I mean, have they sort of changed their route? They've run more, so they obviously understand this, and they've ceded to it a bit.
1: Uh, well, it's funny I, you say that, because uh, did you happen to watch their last game of the season against Oakland? Not, and I, I, don't want, I don't want to hear the collective moan from the audience, you know, Oakland, but they threw a lot more of those... Uh, intermediate routes off play action. They had some plays that looked like the old Colts with his hard zone stretch and oh, those intermediate yeah. routes.
0: Yeah, the old Edger James thing, yes.
1: Yeah, so they did some of that against Oakland Week 17. And if you didn't know anything about Peyton Manning, you know, his arm, whatever, he threw the ball really well in that game, and he threw it at the intermediate level. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say all of a sudden he's got a gun, but... Let's see how it plays out, because he threw the ball really well week 17.
0: Well, what you bring up is something that I've noticed from time to time, um, and it's how, and I hope I phrase this correctly so it's understandable, how offensive play designers sort of create velocity for quarterbacks with their route concepts. They create openings that quarterbacks can throw to with more confidence based on their route concepts. Is that kind of no what... No question. Is- I mean,
1: that, 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 that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to create, you, by your route concepts and route combinations, and, and then the quarterback, you know, knows that, hey, if it's man, I'm going to look here. If it's, you know, cover three, I'm I mean, and, and there's no one better at that than Peyton Manning. Now, the other thing to keep in mind, we talked about protection earlier. You know, every team has rules. Well, every defense has rules in coverage, okay? There are rules, and... I think Peyton Manning is as good as there is at understanding the rules of the defense and the coverages, the rules of the coverage, and attacking those rules. Because every—that's why sometimes in zone a guy will be open, and the immediate response is, "Oh, they blew the coverage." Well, no, they didn't blow the coverage because if you if you can break down the rules of the coverage in a zone, people will be open.
0: Sometimes it's a win for the offense. I mean, it's just that. Correct. Speaking Correct. of wins for the offense. Um, I don't know how much you've gone back and watched the three second-quarter touchdowns to Julius Thomas in that week one game, but what were oh, the...
1: yeah. The uh, 35-yarder was a perfect example of what I just said. Are you yeah. familiar with the play? Yeah. Well, they knew the rules of the defense. They knew... See, that, that was a um, a closed formation to the right, mm-hmm. to the to the boundary. And in, instead of Julius Thomas being the flexed wing tight end, as he normally is, he was the line of scrimmage tight end, and Virgil Green was off his, his hip as the kind of H-back, you know, wing tight end. You know why they did that? The Colts play a lot of man. Mm-hmm. And you know what the rules of the defense is for the Colts? They have a linebacker play the line of scrimmage tight end, and the safety play the wing tight end. They knew the rules of the defense, ah. so, so therefore Thomas lined up as a line of scrimmage tight end, and they knew they'd get the Jackson on him. So if you watch the play, and I'm sure you will after we hang up again, you'll see that on the other side of the field where they had the two wide receivers, they just ran vertical routes to lift the corners so that Julius Thomas could run across, her, across the field with no one there, and the Jackson was covering him.
0: The more I think about this, the more I think this is uh, this is one for the Broncos. It seems like it's more what Manning and Adam Gase do before the game.
1: Yeah, well, theoretically, this is true for any team. Every you know, it's just some people are, are better at understanding how to break down this stuff than others. You know, it's and and you have Peyton Manning. Yeah. He, you know, he—he he, Not only does he get it intellectually, but he can apply it on the field. There's a lot of quarterbacks in the league on the blackboard. They could draw just what I said. I mean, I know the rule. I can't execute it on the field, Doug, obviously. I know the rule. But, you know, some guys can apply it on the field better.
0: Well, Greg, you've always been more of a greedy game manager. <laughs> I'm a system quarterback. Yeah, but you really want it and uh you know, you're exactly exactly uh, good influence in the locker room, so we'll uh, we'll keep you on.
1: <laughs> I hope I hope in this podcast I didn't come out flat.
0: Uh, no you didn't. Well maybe a little bit, but you uh you recovered nicely in the second half. Um so tell us what when we uh watch it on the East Coast or D V R on the West Coast because it's too damn early. Uh what will we be seeing on NFL matchups? I mean obviously, well,
1: obviously we've yeah. got Two shows again this week, tomorrow morning and Sunday morning, and we do the two games. And uh, uh, I think, really, that's all people need to know because, you know, I don't want to give away what's in the show. They need to watch the show to find out what what is discussed. But uh, a lot of good stuff, a lot of good, really good visuals, really good visuals. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the play I just talked about uh-huh. will be in the show. Ah. The Julius Thomas, 35-yard touchdown.
0: Nice little uh, teaser there. Well, Greg, there you go. great stuff as always, and we'll talk to you next week, my friend, for the championship round. Now, you're going to be in Arizona, right?
1: Yes, but not next week. Well, uh, yeah. Are you going to be in Arizona? Oh, yeah. When are you going?
0: Uh, I'm going the Sunday. Before. I'll be there all week, so maybe we can do oh, that. I'll, yeah. I'll get there uh, two days after you, Tuesday. We should do the Super Bowl podcast live, maybe.
1: Oh, uh, we could, well, we do that. You know, I'll, 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 I'll have to check with my people to see if I can find some time.
0: I'll have your people call my people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I always wanted to see that. I, I, you know, I'll check with my people. It always sounded like a cool thing to say.
0: Yeah. Do you have people? No. Oh, I don't either. All right. <laughs> with that said, uh, we'll talk to you next week, man. All right, Doug. Thanks. Thanks.